0: So to be told that you're biased or to think or suspect that you're biased is it, pretty shocking, really. It's a bit like being told that
1: you've got body odor. <laughs> Welcome to Media Minded, a podcast that helps you tell facts from fiction. Produced by Shout At UK, the UK's leading political and media literacy education platform in association with ACT, the Association for Citizenship Teaching. This podcast is made possible thanks to the kind support and sponsorship of the U.S. Embassy in London and the Global Engagement Center at the U.S. State Department. I am your host, Matteo Bergamini, and I am here joined today by Martina Chapman. She is a independent consultant for Media Literacy and is currently the National Coordinator for Media Literacy Ireland. Hello, Martina. Thank you for... Uh, for joining me, uh, can you tell me about about yourself?
0: Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, so I'm the uh, an independent consultant working in the area of media literacy, and uh, one of the one of the hats I wear, if you like, is is national coordinator for media literacy Ireland, uh, which is is probably one of the busiest projects I have on now at the moment as well.
1: I can imagine. I can imagine. And what what does what does the what does the campaign do?
0: So well media literacy Ireland is uh it's an independent unincorporated association of members um it's a voluntary network of individuals and organizations who are interested in cooperating um on an informal basis to make the best use of existing media literacy knowledge and resources so basically it's a bunch of people coming together to say right how can we help the public uh, become more media literate
1: mm-hmm. and and why is why is something like this, do you think, important now? Um, I mean, it's, I think media literacy is something that we as an organisation have been doing for quite some time, but I feel like there's been a lot more interest, engagement, and just general urgency um, more so now than probably ever before.
0: Yeah, and and it's uh, so I've been working in the area of media literacy for about twelve years now. And, and I have to say, when I first heard Donald Trump use the term fake news, I thought we are going to get so busy. And that was right. Um, <laughs> because it, it suddenly brought a, a pretty abstract and academic concept writing into the, the general public discourse. Um, so on, on one hand, Donald Trump and his use of the term fake news is really good for media literacy. But on the other hand, the term itself is, is problematic. And the reason for this is because digital and media communications, it is such a central part to all of our lives now. We can't escape it. Um, and, and I often think that, you know, media literacy and learning how to use digital communications is probably as important as traditional literacy, learning to read and write. But the difference is you learn to read and write once, but because technology changes so quickly, you've got to keep developing your media literacy skills. And, and you know, that's that's a challenge. That's a challenge for everybody, especially when we're so busy. Um, And right now, in the context of of where we are with COVID-19, it's particularly important because lots of us are, Super dependent on technology now to do our jobs, to stay in touch with people, um, to do our shopping. You know, it 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 really is. It has highlighted the dependency that we have on digital communications. Right, oh, now. completely,
1: completely. I mean, I I never thought I'd be doing this many hangouts, video call- calls, and so forth in just one day. And I think I can't wait for this to be able to actually have some some human contact and actually speak to people for once, mm. which would be which would be nice. But but yeah, no, you're right, we're relying on technology so so much. And it's interesting cuz cuz media literacy like you said is it's almost like when you're when you're learning about tech or when you're doing something in STEM you almost got to continuously learn because tech will come out with new mm-hmm. things. You know, we've now got deep fakes that are a whole other myriad of issue yeah. of, of issues that they highlight. Um but just to unpack cuz obviously you mentioned um fake news and and a lot of media professionals um, dislike, have issue with that term. Um, but of course, it's something that most people that aren't in this industry will know about. They will know the word fake news. It is incredibly catchy, it is incredibly simple, um, a lot simpler than some of the other terms like misinformation, disinformation, that we'll get onto in a second. But what's, what's, the, what's the problem with fake news? Like, What is the underlying issue with just calling something fake? Like, because it's, it's that bit of information is not real, so therefore it's fake news. It's
0: exactly – the, the problem is it is too catchy, and, and we, we tend to use it as shorthand and a catch-all for everything. But I think one of the major problems with it right now is that people use it as, as a way of dismissing information that they just don't like, um, not, that, not information that's necessarily fake or inaccurate or, or unreliable. So, you know, if somebody says something to you and go, oh, that's fake news. No, 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 that's not true. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but also... But I don't like broccoli and uh, <laughs> if someone shows me an article about the benefits of broccoli, I ask news, fake news. Exactly. That's not true.
0: Um, and and that's, you know, th- that, that's okay. If we all understand that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just a way of di- dismissing something in, 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 a, in a, a jovial way, but there's lots of people who actually use it as a, incorrectly in a serious way. Um, the, the second issue I have with the term fake news is that it's the, it's the second word, it's the, it's the word news, because it, it risks narrowing down the field of information that, we, that, that can be inaccurate and unreliable. So, for example, in Ireland at the moment, uh, because we're all locked down and we're all stuck in our houses, um, WhatsApp is going crazy. And lots of uh, messaging services are going crazy. That's how people are staying in touch. And and stuff gets forwarded on messaging oh services. Oh,
1: my God, yes.
0: Um, and some of the stories are absolutely crazy. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I'm getting these messages from, from people I know, from uh, from people who I would otherwise uh, categorize as being reliable sources of information. Um, so this... You know, there is lots of so-called fake news circulating on, on those uh, messaging services, but they're not news services. So this is one of the issues I have with fake news. It, it can make people assume that um, inaccurate and unreli- unreliable information comes from news sources only, and it doesn't. Uh, that kind of poor quality information can come from lots of different
1: sources no no definitely definitely and i'm glad i'm glad you brought up whatsapp because and um i promise i'm not just using this podcast event about the things i get sent on whatsapp but um you know you 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 the amount of um things that i get sent that are just not true not founded in any form of reality on whatsapp and people are sharing them like crazy you know people I'm not going to name and shame, but some people in my family or friends that will send me something um, that, you know, that has been debunked. But um, in a time, especially in a time like this, which is a time of crisis or a time of where people are scared or worried or want an answer quickly, um, these kind of viral um, WhatsApp um, memes or or faked um, recordings or whatever else do the rounds quite, quite quickly. Um, And it's really, really damaging because it's impossible to really ascertain if that thing is real or not. Um, It's completely, there's no real source. You don't know where it came from. You just know someone shared it. And, and I want to touch on this thing about family and friends, because like you said, you know, some of the people that send you this stuff are are people that you tend to rely on as, as good sources of information. But I wonder if that's where our um, bias can come in around people as well, because, you know, you're, your, your auntie may be, may be an amazing you know mechanic or, or, or chef or whatever it may be, and that's her expertise. But it doesn't mean she suddenly is a doctor during a time of crisis. And when she sends you something, we often have this sort of false sense of security that, you know, oh, she, she knows her stuff, I love, I love this person, so therefore I'm going to believe it a little bit more. When in reality, that's not their expertise. They could be caught up by panic and they're sharing something they don't really understand or know about. And I'm wondering if there's if there's a bit of an issue there because we kind of we trust information from people that we know more than we maybe should yeah. if we are media literate. Well,
0: I think this this is one of the challenges, and with a lot of the, the the kind of the messaging groups that we're all in right now as well, there's a social element to them. So even if you if you receive a message and you know clearly that this is just not true, it's very difficult to come back in that public space and say actually. That's not true, Uh, you know, because you don't want to embarrass people. You don't want to make them feel stupid for sharing something. Uh, So there's it's that fine balance. But also in those groups, especially the kind of the smaller groups, if you know the people, you're in a better place to kind of say, okay, well, yeah, she's she's pretty knowledgeable. But actually, uh, I don't think she's an expert in this field.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah
0: and i think we get we, we get into real difficulty then when we're in a slightly larger group and we don't have that background knowledge about somebody and they're sharing something that could be true but we don't know for sure uh and it, it, you're right it does get very very difficult um and i think the the one of the ways we as a society need to uh, need to look at that is i mean there's two there's two sides to it so one side is the algorithmic um, processes behind sharing and uh, the kind of the business models for the online platforms that, you know, prioritize uh, kind of emotive, highly viral material. So that's one side. And us as individuals, we're not really in a position to do much about that. But the other side is it's it's about our own emotional responses to information and and our own personal biases. And just being aware of those two factors can really, really help uh, reduce the spread of um, poor quality information.
1: It's just, yeah, no. I mean, it's it's just hard, isn't it? Because it's your your own personal biases are something that you don't really um, understand or, or necessarily know you have, and it's quite it's quite a sort of self reflective thing where you kind of got to think about it honestly. And you know we all we all tell 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 ourselves white lies about how we think or how we feel or how we sound or how we look or whatever else. Um, and I'm guessing internal biases are very much in that same way. So it's quite hard for us to recognise what those biases are. But of course we all have them. Um, some being completely innocent. You know, um, if if I would ask you what should I have for lunch this afternoon, you'll Tell me something that that you have a bias for, that you have a, that you have a, that you have a specific interest in, or or, or you like, uh, and those biases are kind of harmless. But then obviously it becomes very harmful if they are biases towards say, race, gender, religion, or anything like that. Um, but it's important that we recognise that all of us as human beings have biases, um, and that can influence the way we think. Um, and then also you're right. I mean the family um you know dealing with people that you that you love other family or friends you know it's very very hard to to engage in that conversation sometimes because you don't you want to do it in a tasteful way without necessarily insulting them or making them feel bad um but then again yeah. it, i think it also it is a responsibility of all of us to make sure that we 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 help them because if you don't tell you know your aunt or uncle they're going to be sharing it with a hundred other people or whatever else um yeah. And and you're kind of letting him do that or letting her do that without at least trying to say actually this is not true. Yeah. Um,
0: it's 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 almost sometimes it's almost like uh, when when you see somebody and they've got their skirt hitched up in their tights or they've got their their flies right. on or something and it's that moment oh god I want to tell you because I want to stop you um, embarrassing yourself further but if you know the the very act of me informing you of this is is going to be awkward for everybody um, but you are right it's it's Every single one of us are in that position. We we all get caught by kind of um, misinformation and poor information because we are pre-programmed to believe certain things, and it takes a lot of work and a lot of awareness to, uh, on an individual basis, to counter that. Yeah,
1: it's it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's basically self-reflection. We got. To, I think we all got to um, change the way we engage with information, and we'll also change the way we. Uh, we, we we see ourselves in this context because i think there's nothing wrong with saying i don't know a lot about this issue um uh, let me let me inform myself rather than this kind of assumption that if we google something we're going to we're going to instantly become experts in this topic that is not how how it works uh, but i think the internet sometimes gives us uh, gives us that false sense of security all i have got to do is google something because you don't know how credible that information may be um so having that understanding that actually you need to do a bit more bit more than just simply googling and dragging the first thing that comes up um and of course that's where that's where media literacy comes in um obviously we we we, we mentioned um fake news and its problems and and of course me the media literacy practitioners like yourself we've come up with a bunch of different terms uh, we've mentioned one of them now obviously misinformation um, and i kind of want to unpack these terms because there's mi- misinformation disinformation and malinformation which for a lot of people will mean absolutely nothing um, but starting with misinformation, like, could you like, what is it? Like, how can we best understand what it is? Because for my understanding, misinformation is um, essentially false or misleading information that is shared, not necessarily to do harm, um, but more for a laugh, for lack of a better term. Uh, well,
0: I'd I'd say that is. Um, I think for me, I would describe misinformation as Information that is of poor quality, not deliberately, not deliberately Mm -hmm. created to, to cause harm, but it could be a genuine mistake or it could be information that's been circulated because people don't understand it or because they misinterpret it, um, or because of, of human error or because facts weren't checked. So of the three kind of levels of, of, um, uh, of, Poor information. I think misinformation is probably the most common one, um, and, and possibly the least kind of uh, malicious, if if uh, if you like.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And
0: I, mean- uh, I, I think I, I think a, a lot of the stuff. It, it. I think misinformation arises as well when people get confused about information and they don't check their facts. I think yeah. disinformation, I think, is slightly more serious from the point of view that disinformation is deliberately created to mislead or to influence. Um, and it may have a grain of truth in it, but it's it's twisted or it's it's portrayed as uh, taken out of context or, or it's portrayed in a particular way to try and influence you. Um, so it's that that I think is maybe a little bit more sinister, and then you've got malinformation, which is is again based on reality, but it is it's deliberately uh, created to kind of inflict harm on a person, or uh, it's it's very malicious in its in its um, you know its intent.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, malinformation from the um I think ethical journalism network um, says that malinformation is essentially information that should be kept private or or was or meant meant for sort of private eyes and then has been moved to the public sphere and um, twisted or, the, or distorted to to negatively affect that person or the organisation of or that country that it's that it's supposedly been affected by, um, which which I mean. There is a, there's a kind of line to say. Well, I mean, isn't that investigative journalism to an extent? And I think with that one, it's a little bit more confusing because it depends on the specific information that's being used, or it depends on how it's being twisted. A minute, and, manip- and it, all, all these kind of factors, I think, come in that really um, make it a little bit more um, difficult to 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 pinpoint.
0: Yeah. This is something we really wrestled with when we were developing our media literacy campaign for Media Literacy Ireland. So 12 months ago, we decided, uh, you know, well, maybe we'll try and to to coincide with European Media Literacy Week in 2019, we thought, well, we'll just ask some of the members if they want to try and work together on a small campaign. Um, And the theme was around, you know, um, promoting accurate information. And this is this concept was something we really struggled with. Everybody knew it was what we were talking about was fake news, but but not we weren't going to use that term fake news because it's so problematic. Of course. And we talked about misinformation and disinformation, and we thought these these are just not user friendly terms, you know. Uh, So then we thought, well, the the positive focus for our work was trying to promote um, accurate and reliable information and that's what we focus in on Mm -hmm. so it's it's accurate and reliable and we keep there there the time kind of the two touch words because also truth truthful information is is a little bit tricky as well because we can have this conversation and you can you will have your version of the truth and i will have my version of the truth Mm -hmm. but we can't dispute facts well, most people can't dispute facts. I, I was going to say, I think we live in bit. alternative facts, <laughs> but um, but in terms of it's it's much it's much easier to kind of measure accuracy and reliability than it is to measure kind of truthfulness, yeah, because yeah. there's a, a kind of subjective subjectivity to that. Mm. Um. So yeah, so that that was one of the, the key things we looked at when we were, were developing that, that campaign. Um. Mm. And again, it, we, we really struggled when we tried to develop a name for it so we we finally got to a great place thanks in no small part to the public service broadcaster here RTE, uh, the head of comms there played an amazing role in this and uh, and came up with this idea of be media smart and stop think check so be that's media smart call to action
1: i, I do yeah. i do remember seeing that in um in, in, in 2019 be media smart that's yeah it's quite catchy that's quite nice um, it
0: is and then, and then suddenly this year, uh, back in February, it uh, when COVID hit, and we saw it was just a, a huge amount of misinformation circling about COVID, about lockdowns, and in more recent times now about five G. That mm. we thought, okay, the, we need to rerun this campaign again, and uh, and we have and we have ads now going out on all of the public service um, TV channels, all of the commercial TV channels uh all the national and local radio stations will be picking it up next
1: week and uh, That's amazing. We it'll be picked up in the press as well. Yeah. That's amazing. Um I mean I it's interesting with the with, with the terms because I, I actually quite like out of all of them I think I I mean, most people can wrap their heads around misinformation probably easiest. Um because it's it's probably the most straightforward and quite quite often I'd say that misinformation is almost taking the place of fake news in a way, where um, misinformation kind of acts almost as the as the umbrella, and then and then you've got the different terms. And and like you said, like misinformation, like something that I'd class as misinformation, for instance, which which isn't um, necessarily COVID related. But I, know, I remember there was a few years ago there was a I can't remember which hurricane, but there's a hurricane that hit um, I think the eastern part of the states, and someone had tweeted a image of a shark um in a flooded uh, motorway i'm going to say freeway because we're in, in in the uk but motorway and um and what well, and that for me would be classed as 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 misinformation because it's people are sharing it more because it's funny it's different it's weird you kind of want it to be true you kind of want to believe it but it's not exactly going to shape the way you're going to vote at the next election or the why you're going to necessarily see a certain group of person um uh, or anything like that. like it's 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 misinforming you, but it's frankly kinda harmless. Mm. Um where I kind of struggle a little bit more with is is the 5G um stuff that's been coming out recently. Because five G is a bit of a weird one because there are a lot of people sharing it, and obviously some celebrities shared it by accident as well. They were misinformed, um shared some elements of it. And it's quite hard to class that, I find, because five G is, is is incredibly harmful um one because people have been burning down phone masts because of because of this conspiracy um and secondly it's linked to um the anti-vaxxer movement which poses a whole heap of problems later on down the line um with, with when we have a potential vaccine for for the virus so i'm um, kind of wondering with with sort of your your expertise i mean what, what would you class that as just pure and simple disinformation or how would you?
0: I think one of the things we need to consider with disinformation is why it's being circulated. Mm. Because if we think that disinformation is deliberately created to influence or deliberately created to for a purpose. And I think sometimes disinformation, the purpose of disinformation is to plant a seed of doubt. And to get people talking mm-hmm. about things and to open the door to um, to open the door to doubt, and I think particularly in a crisis situation like we are now, it's people are naturally on like in a, in, a, in a heightened state of alert, um, and that's a, a, a kind of a, a time when it's very easy for conspiracy theories to spread. Uh-huh. So I do I do think it's, it's important to, to ask the question. Why am I receiving this? Who is it? Who's sending it, and for what purpose?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, of course, and it's, it's it's more we would say it's more about the the motivation behind the false bit of information rather than the information itself, and and the potential damage it causes because someone may want to influence um, someone's particular view or whatever else, they would spread this information but may amount to nothing because people don't believe it whereas something like 5g i think it just comes out more out of ignorance and lack of understanding about the technology and all the rest of it um rather necessarily than a concerted effort to 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 make people burn down phone masks Do you know what i mean i think it's i think it's more just by a complete lack of um awareness and understanding about the technology um Mixed in potentially with a bit of xenophobia because of the um, main company in, in, involved in all of that, um, and obviously the country involved in all of that. So I, I, I wonder if it's so. You say it's, it's more about the motivation than, than, than the.
0: I think I think we always need to we always need to look at the the motivation of where it's coming from. So if you see a particular conspiracy theory, for example, spread by a, and I use the term. Well, the term's probably accurate by an influencer, for example, on, yeah. on Twitter. But if, if that influencer is, for example, uh, obviously particularly right wing or obviously particularly left wing, that will give you an indication of potentially um high percentage of their followers may share those views. So the information being shared within that circle may not be completely mm-hmm. balanced. Mm-hmm.
1: So if, if I may ask, so something like the um yeah, you know the the and not not to not to bring up a really old term that um we probably all kind of wish uh, <laughs> we'd forgotten about by now, but um the Brexit bus that that um went around, you know the three hundred fifty million, um which obviously got conclusively um disproven by many 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 academics and, and fact checkers and all the rest of it. Would that be classed as disinformation then? Would you say? because of the motivation of of specifically leading people down a certain a certain view or to or, or to tread out around something
0: well i think the, the 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 bus as it's known was there if you look at the motivation behind the, the, the bus it was to it, it was a vote winner basically and uh, mm-hmm. i mean you will still have people argue uh, that you know that money has been delivered so it's it's uh, and, and I think when you're dealing in, in terms of a, a polit- political campaigning, um, it's uh. it, it, it's really tricky. Um, and one, uh. of the, one of the big issues we have is that in terms of there are very strict and very clear guidelines um, about how information is portrayed on TV and radio and in the press. And that it's got to be verified by a second source and all of that kind of stuff. The same rules do not apply online. And I think this is a fundamental problem mm. because we, as consumers of media, we live in a world where if it looks like telly and sounds like telly, it's telly and we consume it in the same way. And particularly, I think people of a... of a, God, when I say slightly older age group, I mean anybody kind of over the age of thirty uh, <laughs> who kind of grew up, who didn't grow up in a in a social media age. So their how how they kind of process media content is based in in how they processed kind of TV and radio and print, which was all highly regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is there is a risk there that you see stuff online and you think, well, it's it's got to be validated, and it hasn't, and you can see that mm-hmm. in. You know, sometimes you see um, commentators, uh, you know, uh, correspondents, and, and and commentators linked to to broadcasters, for example, and they will say something on Twitter that you know they would never ever say on air because they'd have to have it, you know, um, they'd have to have multiple sources, and there's a risk online in in the kind of the Twitter race to break the news. That there's always, mm. the, you know, um, the the media are under pressure to be the first to break it. So again, yeah. it's 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 almost like there's a there's a risk that the information you're getting online there's a grain of truth in it, but it might not be completely verified. Uh, so you almost have to wait mm. until you see and hear it broadcast to be absolutely sure. Okay, this is factually based.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think I think you're you're right. I mean the the um, the bus thing, I think, is, is 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 an interesting one because it's not like, and it's been going round in, in my head for a while. But I, I wouldn't, you know, by by the end of it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't class it, as you say as as disinformation. And also, it it's heavily disputed, I'd say, and there's there's arguments on both sides. But it's there is a clear a clear route to understanding who said what. Why people have stood by, it, people have talked about it, people have defended that claim, and I think the difference with with online, as you quite rightly say, it's that there there is no real um, accountability at all, really, um, and with misinformation and disinformation specifically, it normally comes from a very um, uh, a very obscure, vague source. Um, As you say, potentially a a influencer necessarily or someone that has very little, um, you know, checks and balances, whereas political figures or journalists tend to have not always, but tend to have quite a high level of um, scrutiny placed upon them to, to a certain degree. Um, obviously, depends on where and and who, but but in general, I'd say they tend to have quite a high level of of, of scrutiny uh, placed upon them, um, and I think there there has been a muddling um, at the moment between that kind of journalism or, or political rhetoric and the kind of online um, new age kind of information or, or disinformation that we that we or misinformation that we're receiving, because you know journalism and things that are published online are just not the same so you have um, if a story goes through The Guardian or, or The Times or whatever whatever newspaper you can think of um, they have a certain set structure they have guidelines they have editorial standards they go through different fact checks um, TV as you say will do the, will do a very similar thing in terms of verification um, but it, but it's easy to look online um, and look at you know, the times of the guardian or the bbc and then look at another random blog or whatever and think that they're both the same or think that they have the same level of editorial standard in the same way that you look at a politician that says that thing and then you look at a someone that is ranting on twitter that you don't know and you think they're the same thing it's like well they're not these these organizations individuals there is a lot of scrutiny around them
0: yeah it is because of the unregulated environment that is the online environment it is very easy for people to 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 kind of um to assume as Mm. you say that it's a level level playing field when it's not uh, because the checks and balances are not there and i think that makes it a very difficult place to have um to have informed debate sometimes
1: yeah yeah, yeah. Um, especially when you when you see sometimes, uh, you know, someone arguing with facts and then you see someone else on normally. I mean, it's not always on Twitter. I don't want to necessarily dog Twitter, but uh, you tend to see it on social media where someone's responding with facts and someone else is responding with, with opinion. And when we've got those two sort of seeing side to side or balanced, it's 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 just not the same thing. Um, and uh, so. Obviously, with 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 your work and, and, and the campaign that you're doing, you must see quite a bit of. Misinformation. um Have you have you encountered a um, an increase during this crisis? And um, have you come across any particular examples that have really taken root? Aside uh, from five G, oh, of course.
0: There's <laughs> there's there's loads in terms of um, misinformation uh, around COVID nineteen. Yes, of course. There's a, there's a huge increase in it, and there's lots of reasons for that. One reason is we're all at home. Some of us have extra time to actually engage in this stuff. Another reason is we're all a little bit more anxious. We're all out there desperately looking for information. Another element of it is we all want to be part of the communication. And we also, you know, most people want to feel like they're part of a solution. And, and if that's sending on information that we think will be helpful to others, then, you know, that's it. Um, I can give you a very personal uh, example of very early on how I was caught out by a um, uh, that uh, this would have been, <laughs> yeah, by a piece of misinformation. So it was uh, a couple of days before lockdown. Rumours were flying, you know, lockdown is coming. There's going to be army on the streets. Borders are going to be closed, all this kind of thing. Now, I, didn't... I
1: heard there were tanks on the streets at one oh, point, yeah. supposedly. That's not true, by the way, no, but that none, was none one thing that, that was circulating. But I was pretty
0: sure <laughs> there wasn't going to be army on the streets. But um, I'm based here in Ireland and I have a friend staying with me. And and they were uh, thinking about heading back to London and we were trying to check out, well, well, maybe we should just have a look and see, you know, and I was uh, searching for Dublin Airport. And I came, with the first tweet that came up was um, Dublin Airport announcement full closure from 2 p.m. tomorrow. And I was going, oh, God, all right, okay. So immediately, before I checked anything... Of course, I shouted out to my friend, start packing your bags. The airport is closing, you know, <laughs> and there's two links on the tweet. So I clicked the first link and it, it took me to the news page, the actual news page of the public service broadcaster here, RTE. So that gave me some confidence that, well, it's, you know, I just have to search on, on the RT site and this article will be here. Uh, and I couldn't find it. But the temptation was there for me to forward that, that tweet immediately. And thankfully, I didn't. I checked the second link as well, which I can tell you had nothing to do with airports and had nothing to do COVID nineteen, and it was highly inappropriate and dodgy. And I am just very relieved that I didn't. Um, so my 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 embarrassment was uh, limited to me then having to shout at my friend, "Okay, false alarm! Airports not closing." <laughs> And, you know, that's a really, really simple thing. So, I mean, that's yeah. not about 5G or anything else, but that had the potential to seriously, professionally embarrass me if I had retweeted that without checking. And because of the the state of mind I was in with COVID and all of this new information coming at me, and, uh, you know, the, the, the risk is always there that we will not check and we will not, you know, take a moment to just... Um, to
1: kind of stop, think, and check uh, what we're doing. Mm. I mean, that is um, that's really, really interesting because it's it, it is it, some some of it's to do with I think our media habits, isn't it? That we want things um, immediately. We don't want to really wait for 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 information. We want the information to happen now. We want it straight away. Um, and obviously, with something like the COVID pandemic we can't have information straight away we can't have good information straight away because the science and the dogs are playing catch up with this virus um but human beings don't really like to wait and we want to know information now so there's that kind of window at the moment i find where that kind of misinformation can really hit off and that's exactly what's happened and obviously in a heightened state of panic as you as you quite rightly said you know you you're in that moment when you're in that mindset where you just want to share information. You just want to get out. You just want to share mm-hmm. it with people to make sure that people are aware. Um, but maybe it's time we change our habits. I wonder.
0: Yes. Um, yes, it is. And, and this is a fundamental thing about media literacy. Because media literacy, uh, because the skills are evolving all the time, media literacy is a lifelong learning behavior. And it... Media literacy involves behavior change, and that's really difficult. Mm. Uh, It doesn't happen overnight, and in terms of programs and initiatives to support behavior change, they need long-term investment, um, long-term planning, and long-term support. You know, if you think about smoking cessation, so if somebody wants to give up Mm. smoking, those programs are incredibly well-researched, incredibly well-resourced, and for every step on the way, that person on their journey to, to stop smoking will have different levels of support. Um, and still huge numbers of, of people don't don't fully succeed at the end. So behaviour change is hard. Uh, and, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges for media literacy. And that was the thinking behind Media Literacy Ireland and involving so many different organisations from so many different sectors. So we've got Academia, we've got media, we've got the community and voluntary sector, we have um, formal and informal education. We've got um, just basically anybody with an interest in in promoting any aspect of media mm. literacy, mm. and that works really well. And that was shown in uh, when we when we delivered our campaign, we pretty much had organisations and people with really terrific skills standing ready to support the campaign and reach out to their networks and support their networks. Uh, and that, that's why it had such a huge impact for relatively little kind of input at the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a, um, and it's amazing that you're, you're getting so many different organizations coming together. Um, I mean, what, one of the things, the most valuable things for for media literacy one of the most valuable wins i think for media literacy would be the press in general and and educators or organizations that run media literacy training working together um, and it's great to see some of that i think it'd be amazing to see more of it i mean how, how have you how have you seen that collaboration developing in your campaign
0: uh, it was phenomenal in the, in this campaign i mean I've, I've done this kind of thing for a number of years And I have never seen collaboration at this level or to this depth anywhere before. And I do think part of it is, uh, part of it was because the timing of the campaign last year was very good. And also the focus of the campaign was on accurate and reliable information. Mm. And that's something everybody can, can come around. So we weren't talking about false news. We weren't saying, oh, this is a problem for the news sector, because it's not. It's a problem for every sector. And because it's a problem for every sector, everybody benefits from um, an improvement in, in the situation. So we, we literally had all of the, the TV stations, all of the radio stations, um, Twitter, Facebook, and Google all supported it, with huge support from um, the print press as well. And what I found interesting was it was the first time I'd seen these different kind of sectors come together and collaborate because, you know, usually they're competing for stories. You you know, arguably, you could say it was a a group of competitors coming together and and working together. Um, Which is a
1: miracle um, in a lot of ways, actually.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I could not believe it. Um, So we had huge coverage in the press. Uh, which it's the first time I've seen that level of coverage of a media literacy initiative in the print press as well.
1: I mean, that is and that they
0: were they were terrific.
1: That's incredible. That is absolutely that is absolutely incredible, and it just shows that actually, you know, that this stuff can be we we, we can push it out, but it requires it requires collaboration. Um, and although media literacy, I think, is 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 frankly quite quite new in a lot of ways. I think it is. It is doable to to add into the mindset of, of of people in general because you know there was a lot of there was a massive campaign as you, as you currently said around you know stopping people from smoking and now the rate of people smoking has dropped. Um, there is a lot around being done around going to the gym or healthy eating, and you can see that obviously gradually improving and changing people's mindset. So I don't see why media literacy can't be can't be that same thing about our, our online information consumption habits almost like a a diet to make sure that you have enough good information coming in um to to keep a healthy a healthy sort of information lifestyle in a way um may have stretched that analogy a little bit but hey um but w- what do you think people can can do then to just just in general from your sort of campaign or just in your own in your own professional um experience what can people do to to start those healthy habits to to be able to um, enjoy um, media literacy or, or get good information, and be able to tell what what's, what's factually correct to what isn't actually shareable or trustworthy.
0: Well this was at the heart of our Be media Smart campaign. So we had all of this advertising and it all pointed to one place and that was the ie website. It's a very simple website and on it there are tips to help people verify information. Uh, and it, we've broken it down into three categories, and it's very simple. It's stop, think, and check. And it's stop, read more than the headline. You know, headlines are designed to catch your eye, but a headline can't give you the full story. And neither can a short social media post. You know, and if it sounds unbelievable, you know something it probably is. Um, and don't assume that a picture or a photo is giving you the whole story. Uh, Because the old saying, like a picture tells a thousand stories is right. But, you know, the old saying, a picture never lies is wrong these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pictures can be altered and photoshopped. You mentioned deep fakes earlier on. So we really need to, uh, you know, it's useful to become familiar with tools like the Google reverse image search uh, to help fact check images as Mm -hmm. well. Um, And just because information goes viral or trending doesn't mean it's accurate. Uh, Viral, you know, information is often created in a way to trigger an emotional response, like the example I gave earlier on, and and makes us want to, um, in a moment of outrage or excitement or disbelief, we we hit the share button. So that viral information is often not accurate either. Mm, mm. The second category then is think. Think carefully about what the information is for. Ask yourself. Who's, where did it come from, why, and who benefits? Look at the style, the tone, the source of the information to help you judge how reliable and accurate it is. Most importantly, I think, when it comes to think, consider your own biases. Ask yourself whether the information challenges you or does it match your own world views? And because, you know, we're all much more likely to believe information that supports our existing views. Even, I'm afraid to say, even if the information seems a bit dubious. Um, and, and algorithms can track what we see, we we hear online, and generate recommendations for us. So it's quite easy for us to to be fed information that does align with our, our views. So we need to consider our own biases as well. Um, and then, you know, think and see if the information's been reported anywhere else. And finally, then check. If it's on the web, look at the look at the URL. Does it look real? Um, find out, check, find out who the author, or the publisher, or the producer is, um, and look at the detail for accuracy. Because some um, disinformation is is often you know badly worded, or there's misspellings or typos there. But ultimately, for the check, you know, go to the fact checkers if you still have mm-hmm, doubts.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stop. Think. Check. Really, really good. Um, good free words. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's loads of really, really good, um, incredibly accessible fact checkers that are working insanely hard, I'm imagining, right now. Um, but you, you can definitely verify a lot of information on there. Um, talking of bias uh, that you mentioned, obviously, it's it's... It's, it's almost i mean that one's definitely definitely easiest than done i think because it's it's like the idea of self-reflection isn't it you you need to be aware of the biases you have and the fact that every human being under the sun has biases um it could be as something as innocent as you know you asking me what um what what am i gonna have for lunch or what, what should you have for lunch and i'll give you a suggestion based on my bias because i like certain foods and um, that's completely harmless harmless but it is a bias um obviously biases can become a bit more harmful when they come into things like uh gender race ethnicity etc um but it's important we know that they exist and we know we have them um but it, it, is, it is very much self-reflection and we all tell little white lies about how we how we look how we sound how we how we smell um i mean i i I'm consistently told that I have a slightly higher pitched voice than I actually believe I do. For instance, for example, that's my own bias. <laughs> um, but yes, how, how do you, how can we make sure that that self reflection happens, or that we is there something that you do that, that just makes you aware of your own biases that, that we can sort of take lesson from?
0: I, I was I was talking to somebody about this recently, and uh, we were talking about bias, and and you know, it nobody wants to be told that they're biased about mm-hmm. something. Because we all we all believe that our worldview is the perfect worldview. Otherwise, we wouldn't hold it. And uh, so to be told that you're biased or to think or suspect that you're biased is, is pretty shocking, really. And uh, I was talking about this with, with uh, uh, somebody recently. And they said, yeah, it's a bit like being told that you've got body odor. <laughs> you know, nobody... And thought, oh, yeah there are some parallels there because uh, if you look at particularly in social media it's it's often very easy to see somebody who is biased either for example either left or right and uh, the more biased they are the more you kind of see people moving away disengaging from them a little bit and uh, and, and, and nobody wants that, you know. It's, uh, so in terms of that, that analogy, I suppose, the way to counter it is, as you say, it's that moment of self-reflection, re- it's that moment of checking. Uh, so w- w- we, deal with, uh, we deal with body odor by, by uh, implementing a good hygiene regime. And I think we one of the ways we deal with uh, bias is that we try and implement a good digital media hygiene regime. So that we're aware of where we're getting our information from and that we try, this is a really difficult thing to do, but that we try to expose ourselves to opinions that we don't necessarily agree with, um, you know, actively make sure that we're not um, creating our own little filter bubbles.
1: That's really good. I really I really quite like that. Um, because, I mean, it's, it's incredibly accurate, isn't it? Because it's like... Again, body odor isn't something that you see, isn't something that you um, can necessarily smell on yourself, for example. So um, unless you have normal, good hygiene, you could actually go around not noticing that you you have bad body odor. Exactly, Um, yeah. But what you might notice is people stepping away from you, leaving the room, doing all of those kind of things. Yeah,
0: being embarrassed (laughs) to be in your company.
1: Exactly, and people don't know... You know, if you're so unaware, you might not know why that's the case. In the same way that if you're talking about, say, um, you know, coronavirus isn't real or this, that, and the other, people may, again, not want to be in the same room with you or might step back or be embarrassed to be around you because the information you're talking about is so misinformed that you might... It stinks. Exactly. It stinks. (laughs) It stinks, yeah. Um, And to have good... To make sure you don't have that, you gotta obviously shower and have good hygiene to get rid of the body odor. And in, in like you say, in the same way, I mean I'm not saying chuck news chuck good quality newspapers at yourself until you're until you're you're clean, but making sure that you engage with and read good fact based information and be aware that you're doing it, so that your 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 um the information that you talk about and you have is of a good clean nature, I guess. <laughs> But, um... Yeah,
0: and and that there's a variety of it there. I think it's it's really mm. important that we we all try to expose ourselves as much. I mean, again, another kind of analogy. It's it's a, it's about building up an immunity. So you expose mm. yourself to to all the different opinions, and then you can you you can be much more aware of where you sit on that spectrum.
1: Yeah, it's almost like, um, I, I had. Someone um, recently mentioning that that misinformation and and disinformation etc is almost like a virus plaguing the internet and media literacy is its cure. Um, mm-hmm. It's its vaccine. However, vaccines only really work if the majority of people take them in the same way. With media literacy, media literacy is only ever going to inoculate us from all of the misinformation that's currently floating around. Is by making sure that all of us have it. There's no point in just yeah. a couple of us having it. We need to make sure that it spreads. That people are media literate. That people are critical thinkers. And only we
0: we, we we get to the point of herd immunity.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly. Herd immunity towards um, misinformation. Um, one thing that I've got to ask, because um, and, and you'll you'll hear this in debates quite often, um, this idea of you know censorship, and um, you know sometimes you'll hear people say oh well why don't we just why don't we just censor all all this rubbish you know why don't we just impose it on the social media companies to just um, censor all the stuff that comes out why don't they do more or why doesn't the government just turn around and and um, you know block all these all these websites that are sharing this this misinformation or whatever else and this argument comes up quite a lot and, and I understand why why people would 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 argue that way because it's, it's almost like an easier it's almost like an easy route into getting rid of this stuff but but do you think it's a good idea i mean what, what kind of implications would that have
0: uh, i don't think censorship in 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 itself is is a is a great idea i think this is one of the reasons we haven't seen um kind of a regulations and guidelines around online content in the same way as we have for you know, some of the more traditional platforms. And the reason being, it is really mm. difficult. This is difficult stuff. If it was easy, it would have been done already. And uh, yes, there, but there is a fine line between freedom of speech, for example, and hate speech. And, uh, yeah. and it, it is a balancing act between um, empowerment and, and protection. So, you know, in order to protect people from, you know, things like hate speech, uh, there is the risk that people are inadvertently then they they lose some of the the opportunity for to to express their own opinion. Um, So it is Uh. it's a balancing act. It's a a balancing act, not only in terms of regulation, but it's a balancing act for us as individuals Uh, as well.
1: uh. I I I agree. I agree. I just I, it's, it's a conversation that consistently keeps coming up around censorship and blocking and so forth. And um, I understand why, but but you're right. You're right. These things are incredibly difficult. And once you all, I mean, they're difficult, but also morally kind of questionable in the sense of a of a democracy that that advocates free speech. Because if you suddenly have social media companies doing all of that work, I mean, they are they are blocking content when it's very very clearly misinformed and misleading people etc and they do have um independent factors i know for example facebook is working with an independent factor in the uk and i think in other regions as well um to help regulate their content but doing it from a sort of outside source so they they're not the ones doing it and therefore there is they're removing that kind of bias that is their own platform right but in general, I think we can't get away from the fact that there's no, there's no, there's no golden bullet. There is no easy way. The only way we can genuinely deal with this is by inoculating ourselves with media literacy. And I don't think the government necessarily closing down websites or anything like that is is necessarily the best way to go. Because if anything, it will drag a lot of these ideas underground. So people are still going to believe them. They're just going to be. Less likely to voice those opinions, so if anything, it's just going to drag it underground, and
0: it does. And sometimes it, it adds fuel to the the conspiracy theory. So yeah,
1: because it's like, oh, see, the government doesn't want you yeah. to hear this. That's why they're silencing me. Blah blah blah. It's, I mean, we've we've heard this kind of narrative before, haven't we?
0: I mean, uh, there there's there's a couple of accounts on a social media platform that that I follow. I don't follow the accounts. Uh, <laughs> I, I engage with the social media platforms and there's a couple of accounts there and I'm going, seriously, the, these people really shouldn't have an account. This is clearly, you know, but, but, but they know the rules of those platforms incredibly well. And they skirt along the lines of the, the terms and conditions and they stay just right on the right side of them. And yes, if if some of these platforms were to take a a purely kind of moral judgment on them, they might ban them. But then, you know, the next time around, they might end up banning somebody that I think is actually, um, you know, a a required and really valid and needed uh, voice that's countering maybe whatever the the public opinion is at, at the time. So yeah, mm. it
1: is, it's a, it's tricky. It's a, it's a very tricky thing and, that, and, that, and, that's, and that's the fundamental problem, isn't it? And that's where sort of media literacy creates the, the best, most, most straightforward um, routine to dealing with this issue, because the moment you start going into demanding that the, the, the social media platforms, which they are doing their part to be fair, especially, especially during this climate, um, when you start demanding them doing it and when you're starting to get the government to do it you, you there's a very fine line between that and then them starting to ban things or remove things that don't fit a certain agenda and that then starts to become a problem um and and you're right like some, some of the the um for lack of a better term hate preachers or whatever else they know these they know the terms and conditions at the back of their hands they've read them co- they're probably one of the only only groups of people that actually ever read terms and conditions because I don't I don't think I've ever read read uh, the social media terms and conditions. Um, something that we all probably should. But let's be honest. Whenever we're clicking, you know, whenever it says, "Do you agree to terms and conditions?" Yeah, and, tick a and, box. and
0: I do. I, I, I <laughs> well, no, I click on the terms and conditions link, and then I see sixty-nine pages of legal e-speak, and I go, "Oh my god, okay, I can't do
1: this." Exactly, and that's and that's just I think. So I think they're probably one of the only people to actually read those terms and conditions cover to cover. Um, but um, but yeah, it's 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 a. It's a it's a very difficult one when we when we start to when we start to refer to, to censorship and, and and blocking things and so forth. And I think there is that social media companies are a part to play, I'd say, um, but they're not the solution. There is no sort of one hit wonder solution. And
0: no, I'm, I mean I've always said that media literacy, uh, the, the the issues that we are encountering now in relation to media and digital communications, the issues are multifaceted. Mm. And the solutions have got to be multifaceted as well, and they've got to involve all of the different players.
1: I agree.
0: Um, it's it's got, and we we have to have that balance of empowerment and protection. I think in order to make um, the solutions effective and efficient and and practical and useful.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. Martina, thank you so much. Um, before you go, where can people follow you, find you, read about the campaign?
0: So, my Twitter handle is Chapman Martina, but the campaign, look for hashtag Be media Smart or hashtag Stop, Think, Check. Uh, you can go straight to the website, which is bemediasmart.ie. And if you'd like to know more about Media Literacy Literacy Ireland or, in fact, if you'd like to become a member of Media Literacy Ireland because membership is free, as I say, it's open to anyone with uh, an interest or an appetite to engage with media literacy, go to medialiteracyireland.ie.
1: Thank you, Martina. And thank you for listening to Media Minded, the podcast that helps you tell facts from fiction, produced by Shoutout UK and recorded and edited by Sabina Mackenzie-Brown. This podcast is made possible thanks to the kind support and sponsorship of the U.S. Embassy in London and the Global Engagement Center at the U.S. State Department.